remember how much attention all the SEC alcohol talk was getting a few weeks back? I guess it's still getting attention. It'll probably continue getting attention as different schools announce or make changes to it. They're going to sell alcohol or not now that the SEC said they can make their own decision. But anyways, remember how much attention that got? So this piece here, this did not get as much attention or like any attention. I only saw it because it appeared on Reddit College Football late last week. I think it was on Friday. The article was Raging Cajuns. Athletics announces fan-friendly concession prices for 2019-2020 season. It was late. I clicked it. What do we have? Maybe some cheap hot dogs. Maybe some dollar popcorn. What is it? No, it's almost everything is $4 or less at Louisiana games, including 16-ounce beer. Like, they have the dollar items. They have the hot dogs, the popcorn, potato chips, all that. And then they have $4 beer. 16-ounce domestic cans of beer is only $4. I mean, some stadiums... Minimum that's six, seven dollars. Maximum that's eight, nine, ten dollars. That's even if they sell it. Four dollars beer. And I know like the home schedule isn't loaded for Louisiana football. It's not a huge draw unless you are a fan in Lafayette. But if you're passing through App State at home, App State trans- transitioning away from Scott Satterfield, they get Troy at home, transitioning away from Neil Brown. Four dollar beer down there at Louisiana. You can't beat that. So this week on the High Motor Podcast, Jim Weber, he'll be on in a minute. Jim, of course, behind the old Lost Letterman. All kinds of random stuff for Jim. And then after him, I'm going to roll through some Big 12 predictions. I submitted my Big 12 media ballot last week. I did tweet that out, but I'm going to run through a few of those ones I struggle with, the ones I think there's no debate over. I'm not going to go too deep on it. We'll do way more, way more deeper predictions later in the summer for all of college football as we get, as we get closer to the season. So I'm not going to get too deep in on it, uh, but we will go through a few of those. And then next week, heads up next week, I'm working on a really strong guest. This is right up here, probably with the best guest in the show's history. I hope it happens. I don't want to drop it yet because things can change, but I'm pretty fired up about who could be on the show next week. I'll have that confirmed probably later this week, this weekend at the latest. So check out High Motor on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. I will preview that guest on Twitter if that indeed does happen. Jim Weber, Big 12 Predictions. Jim Weber on the High Motor Podcast. And Jim, the timing here honestly couldn't be better because the other day I was sitting on the couch and I had this realization. I turned to my wife and I said, oh my God, we don't have any fall weddings this year. So I'm curious, what does your tally <laughs> look like for the season? Any fall weddings on the Jim Weber docket? Yeah, I've got two. And, uh, you know, one is my wife's sister. So I can't complain too much or else I'll be in uh, the doghouse with the family. Um, fortunately, that's Friday night, though. I'll be able, I'll miss the Mountain West action, but I'll be able to watch college football Saturday. And then one is in Houston. Now it's a Michigan alum, so they did it on the bye week. So I tip my cap to that. Um, But I'm still a little frustrated that I'll miss uh, just the regular college football action. But it could be worse considering, um, you know, that that both have an asterisk by them. Um, But obviously no fall weddings is, is, what we all want. Yeah, I think it's the. Fr- I mean, I can't complain too much because I had a fall wedding, so like my outrage has limitations, and and I get that. So for me, it's more like an anger not directed at the couple themselves. It's just anger directed at nothing in particular. It's like getting mad at the weather. Like for example, last year, remember that first weekend in November? I can't remember what week it was. Like week ten, probably. It was the weekend with Bama, LSU, uh, Georgia, Kentucky. Uh, Texas Tech, Oklahoma was that day. West Virginia, Texas was that day. Penn State, Michigan. 
So I had one that 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 weekend. I think it was like week ten. So that one hurt a lot. But like I said, I had a fall wedding. It's like I can't be that pissed off. But I'm still excited that this is the first fall I can remember in several years where I literally, unless something pops up at the last second, I don't have a fall wedding. So I'm pretty fired up about that. Um, okay, Jim. So I had Todd Graham on the show last week, and he wants a job come December. He made that extremely clear. And I'd actually like to see him back in college football. I think those Arizona State teams were really fun to watch. You know, those, those back-to-back 10-win teams. I don't know where he's going to land. Like he said, geographically, he thinks he fits in the South and Southwest. Like I could see a job like SMU, Houston, but it seems unlikely that those jobs are going to open up this year unless something dramatic happens. But anyway, it got me thinking, and I'm curious, what other coaches do fans want to see back in college football? Like genuinely want to see back in college football, not necessarily at their program, like I know you're, you're, like you said, you're a Michigan fan, so not necessarily at a Michigan, but like of coaches who've been fired or retired recently, aren't coaching right now, working in TV, whatever, like a Todd Graham, and you could say have a real chance of being a head coach again. Like if you really want to see Bill Snyder back in college football, I don't think that's happening. Like a Steve Spurrier isn't coming back. Steve Spurrier is done with college football, but someone like Todd Graham could. Like he's in his 50s, he wants to be back, he's probably going to be back. And from the way he talks about it, Todd Graham thinks he's going to be back in December. So who are some guys that you would genuinely like to see back in college football that have a realistic shot of coming back this year, next year, and the next couple of years? Yeah, well, you you took the top choice away from me, which was Steve Spurrier, that I think everyone miss, misses his uh, one-liners and just general zaniness. Um, but he's obviously a little too old to come back. I think he said he would be like a high school head coach if he could. Um, I think that another one, another guy that I just thought was hilarious was John L. Smith. He got fired last <laughs> fall of Division II school. So, and again, he's on the older side, so I don't see him coming back. Uh, Fortson got less miles back, so that's a huge plus for college football fans. I think I'm in the minority on this. When I was thinking of this question, I kept coming back to Cliff Kingsbury. And I, I, like I said, I think I'm in the minority believing that Kingsbury could win as a college football coach. I think he's ultimately responsible, responsible for all of those defensive failures, and you can't overlook that. You can't overlook how few wins they had with some really incredible offensive players, but I don't know. I think at Texas Tech, like, Mike Leach distorted the expectations for that program, and honestly, I keep going back to this. I think Chris Beard is really bad for business for the football program. I'm not sure that that's talked about enough. I think I, I think in most cases, and I think you probably agree with me, it's not like this program is winning at this school, so why isn't this program at? Like, no one is saying Kansas basketball is so good, shouldn't Kansas football be just as good? Or like how it was when Duke's two programs were on such different ends of the spectrum for decades. I'm not saying that, but it feels like geographically, Texas Tech is so different, at least perception-wise. Like the ge- geography of Lubbock, it probably gets as much attention in terms of difficulty than any other school, right? Like, can you think of another Power 5 school's location? Like, I know that Pullman is talked about a lot, for example, but can you think of another Power 5 school location that gets more attention in the sense that, well, it is Lubbock, it's hard to recruit there, so on. Can you think of another school that gets more attention on that level? You mean in terms of like how hard it is to recruit there? Yeah, how hard it is to recruit to the isolation. Um, and then in terms of Chris Beard, because he's done such a good job, the comparison of saying, well, if he can get players there, then why yeah. can't Cliff Kingsbury get players there? And I know, I think it's just completely different. Yeah, I would say I definitely hear Pullman, Washington. I also hear Iowa State. Um, I've never been to Ames, Iowa, so I don't want to knock it. But I do hear a lot of people say that's like one of the hardest Power Five jobs because of um, 
drawing people to Ames is very difficult. I've been to Ames a few times, and I agree, and I think that's kind of what... And I don't know if it's the same thing there, because Fred Hoiberg did such a good job. Why isn't the football program winning? But it just feels like something is different at Texas Tech. Anyway, I think that Cliff could win at a college football program. I think that if he fails in the NFL, he feels like a guy that could step back, take a Power 5 coordinator job, and then maybe like a strong group of five job. Like I mentioned SMU as a potential landing spot for Todd Graham. That feels like the type of job that Cliff Kingsbury could succeed in, like an SMU, a Houston. Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury was the offensive coordinator at Houston and was very successful there. So I definitely think I think all these guys that uh, are offensive minds, that is obviously very trendy. Uh, schools like offensive-minded play, uh, coaches that put butts in the seats and get TV ratings and generate excitement. I think a lot of these guys, like Cliff Kingsbury, now I thought when he got fired at Texas Tech, he would have to go down to a group of five head coaching job, but he got hired by the Arizona Cardinals. So who knows uh, what logic uh, is used nowadays. But I think if he were to fail with the Arizona Cardinals, I definitely think there would be a group of five school, you know, like you said, maybe a, a Texas group of five school that would be interested in hiring him as a head coach. We're talking about Houston here, so let me get your take on that. I've always felt bad for Tony Levine. So he followed Art Bryles and Kevin Sumlin. He was followed by Tom Herman. I mean, those are all three guys. I think each of them won at least 10 games in a season at Houston. I think someone maybe did it two or three times. Uh, Bryles did well. And then Herman takes over for Levine in 2015, goes to, I think it was 13-1, and and then obviously launched the Herman Mania. But, like, Levine won... 15, 16 games in his final couple of years, and this is what I forgot when I was going back on this. I mean, that was he was doing that in the American with a 12 and 1 UCF, a 12 and 1 Louisville, a really damn good Cincinnati team. That was in uh, 2013, and then the depth in 2014 was really tremendous for a Group of Five conference. Going back and looking at, it, there were five teams that won at least eight games in that conference. Three teams went seven and one. So I get that Houston nailed the Tom Herman hiring, depending on how you look at. It. He was only there for a couple of years, but I think because he won so big with Tony Levine's foundation, I've always felt like bad for Levine. I feel like he always got the short end of the stick. Do you have any emotional investment in Tony Levine? I understood why they fired him because I think they went eight and five when they fired him, and they, they were so good. And the drop off happened so fast that I understand the frustration. But I do agree that these schools, if they have home run hires, they get unrealistic expectations. And Houston went from Art Bryles to Kevin Sumlin, and then they also had Tom Herman. So now, you know, with Major Applewhite, you know, when they got blown out by Army, even though the school didn't have that bad of a year, people are saying, well, we're heading in the wrong direction. We got to get the, you know, that was another eight and five year. Um, So that's why they, you know, put all the money into Dana Holgerson, which I thought was a great hire. Um, But yeah, they started out, what were they? I think they were like six and one or seven and one at one point. And then the wheels just came off at the end. And then, you know, they hit the uh, the panic button and fired Major Applewhite. Jim, let's flip it on you here. I want to ask you coaches that you don't want to see back in college football. Like, for example, like Urban Meyer. You know, I would love to see, like, USC be relevant again. I think that'd be fun. I think having relevant USC, UCLA late game, uh, late season games would be a hell of a lot of fun. But I, I just don't want to see Urban Meyer back in college football. And everything's already been said about him. Like, he's going to win. He's going to push boundaries. He's going to piss people off. Like, he might battle health concerns. He's going to look miserable on the sidelines. I just hated how he and Ohio State handled the Zach Smith situation, the ignorance, the, the arrogance was just over the top. So I have no interest in seeing Urban Meyer back in college football. Who do you not want to see back in college football that's currently out of college football right now? 
That's a tough one. I think he's a great guy, so I don't want to rip on him. But one guy that I think it's just his time has passed is Mark Richt. I think he announced his retirement, so I think he's not. he doesn't even want to come back. Um, but after seeing him fail at Georgia and then things start so well at Miami and then fall off a cliff, I think that anyone who hires him has to expect the same thing to happen, that he's going to recruit well, he's going to get excitement started, but then the wheels are going to fall off and eventually it's going to leave with him, uh, you know, leaving on his own or getting fired because the results didn't match the expectations. So I, you know, as as great of a guy as I think he is, I think, um, I think it's time for Mark Rick to, to hang it up. I'm kind of in the same boat, a little bit different reasons here. Like Gene Chizik, for example, I'd, Again, great guy. I'm not saying I don't want to see him in college football. I actually wouldn't mind seeing Mark Rick back because he is a good guy because I don't mind how he runs a program. But Gene Chizik, I just I don't want to see him back because I respect so much that he's so happy and that he stepped away from college football. And I think that it's a little bit different situation. Like Art Bryles, I don't want to see him back for very different reasons. Urban Meyer, I don't want to see him back for very different reasons. But kind of going along Mark Rick, I don't want to see Gene Chizik back just because I have so much respect for him uh, for stepping away. All right, let's move on here. A few weeks back, you tweeted, and this was right after, I think it was like right when they were talking about Hard Knocks or right after it was announced that the Raiders were going to be the Hard Knocks team this year. And you asked, I can't remember if it was a poll or just a tweet, you wondered which team college football fans would want to see on a college version of Hard Knocks. And I think you followed up by saying Alabama. So my question to you is, is Alabama too easy of an answer there? If you had one go at this, would Alabama really be your pick to be on a college version of Hard Knocks? Yeah, I I stick by it because, one, I think Nick Saban is fascinating, and seeing him braid players would be hilarious. Uh, Tua... The Heisman hype, the hype for the number one overall pick, his little brother now being there, uh, Steve Sarkeesian returning to Alabama after going to the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons and kind of him trying to remake uh, his coaching career and his personal image after what happened at USC. Um, Scott Cochran, the Alabama strength coach, is just a wild man, so I think he's uh, just tremendous entertainment. So I think that the amount of storylines on Alabama – are tremendous. I think there are some other candidates though. I think Washington state, that was probably the the biggest one I heard people respond with. And obviously following Mike Leach would be tremendous and thoroughly entertaining. Um, also I think Ohio state would have to be in the mix, not only because it's, you know, one of the top jobs in the country and has the, you know, the craziest fan base in the country along with Alabama. I think Ryan day, seeing him replace Urban Meyer, I think that's a fascinating storyline. And all indications are that he will do very well at Ohio State, but just seeing someone try and fill the shoes of an Urban Meyer, I think Justin Fields also transferring from Georgia. There's a lot of great storylines there. So I'd say between those three, I think that would be uh, my favorites. Which of those do you think would be most likely to actually allow for, I mean to be clear this I don't think this would ever happen there there are too many privacy concerns no program would ever actually allow it but if a program allow it do you think that Mike Leach and Washington State are the most likely to allow a hard knocks into their program yeah because I think it's you know you see usually the NFL teams that do it are ones that are looking for publicity where they're like having a turnaround and they want uh, fans attention or they want to show people that they've turned over a new lease and I think with Alabama and Ohio State there's there's 
they don't have any need for more publicity. They have all the publicity they need. Nick Saban is very uh, transparent about how much he hates the media. Um, I think Washington State would be looking for uh, the eyeballs and the attention that Mike Leach would bring to the show and all the positive uh, momentum that would be gained from doing it. So I definitely think they would be much more likely to do it than Alabama or Ohio State. Looking back over history, is there a certain team that you would pay big money to have a hard knocks for? Like, if, For example, if you could go back to those Miami teams and say we could get a, a retroactive hard knocks for those teams, is there a certain team or a certain era of a program where you can look back and say 10, 15, 20 years later, you wish we would have had a hard knocks in that program at that time? The ones that come immediately to mind are one – uh, either the Miami teams of the late 90s and early 2000s with Nevin Shapiro and all the talent on the team of Ed Reed, Clinton Portis, Helen Winslow, you know, it's just a who's who of NFL players, um, or the 1980s um, with uh, Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson days that have been profiled on the ESPN 30 for 30. The other one that I would really be fascinated by are the mid-1990s Nebraska teams, and I know that 30 for 30 was going to do a story on them, and it actually got held up, and I don't know. It's never been very clear to me why it never happened. I heard something about they weren't able to interview some of the people they wanted. Um, I think Lawrence Phillips also died while they were trying to do it. I don't know if that had any impact on it, um, but just all the storylines there with Tommy Frazier and the blood clots, uh, Christian Peter and his brother who were uh, menaces to society, Lawrence Phillips, uh, Tom Osborne, just the, the tremendous amount of winning that went on there. But also there was a lot of um, behind the scenes shady stuff like what happened with Lawrence Phillips and him assaulting his ex-girlfriend who was dating Scott Frost at the time. I mean, it was just drama um, central uh, in the mid-90s. What about a service camp? I know you're up there in New York. You're not that far from West Point. I guess you're not even that far from Annapolis, too. What if we had a hard knock style up at West Point? Can you imagine how that would go if they gave access to that? Yeah, I think that'd be great, especially because Army football uh, was so incredible last year. Um, They've really got things turned around there, and it would be really fascinating to see what football is like at a service academy. Um, I used to work at College Sports TV, which is now CBS Sports Network, and they did a hard knocks type thing for Navy. And it was pretty fascinating to see, like, what goes into uh, being in a service academy and just what a small role football is in everything they have going on there. So I definitely think Army would be great, um, especially with the expectations they have going on in the season. I see a lot of people picking them to be in the top 25, which, you know, it has to be forever since that's happened before. What year was that for the Navy documentary? I don't know. I want to say that was probably like 10 years ago. So it's been a while. So it's probably right when like Nia Matalolo got there or after he'd been there for a couple of years or so. Yeah. I, th- I think it might even been when uh, Paul Johnson was still there. So yeah, it was, it was definitely during their glory days of, you know, when they were beating Notre Dame for the first time in forever and were making bowl games every year. Now I know the program's on a little bit of a decline, so I think people would rather see Army this year. Um, but it was still pretty fascinating stuff. Let me ask you this. So somebody that's been around college football a lot longer than I have, um, as schools get more creative with promoting their program, I know some programs are still super secretive. This is never going to happen at Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy, for example, but a lot of more programs are getting creative 
promoting their program. Do you think we'll ever see something similar? I mean, we're never going to get all access. We're never going to get the 24-7 stuff. But you've been in media a long time. Do you think school will ever allow something that at least mirrors hard knocks, where we see the meeting rooms, we see recruiting trips, we see more candid moments? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, I think Showtime did something with Notre Dame a couple of years ago, and it was basically hard knocks, um, but just not on the same audience level as hard knocks. And Michigan did something with Amazon, I think, two years ago. So I don't think the, the question is um, whether a school would be willing to do it. I think, yeah, one is how much access can you get? I, I don't think they're getting the same access that hard knocks is getting. And two, I just don't know if, uh, you know, a network like HBO thinks that it would get as much of a draw as the NFL teams. And so I think it's a lot of money and time put into that. So I don't know if they'd, you know, be willing to invest uh, the time and resources to do them basically at the same time because fall camp um, coincides with training camp at the NFL. So it would just be a huge undertaking to try and do hard knocks and uh, a college hard knocks or something like HBO. And there just aren't that many other companies unless you want to, you know, look at like Netflix or Amazon um, to do it. And the problem with Amazon was they did the, the uh, feature on Michigan football and then they aired it months later. What's great about hard knocks is, is it's basically in real time. You're seeing the episodes days after the games or the scrimmages or the practices. So you feel like you're actually watching training camp as it unfolds. So Getting that all put together, I think, is more complicated than getting a school willing to do it. Right, you make a good point there. I think that way more NFL fans are interested in how Mike Mayock, how John Gruden, how Antonio Brown are doing in Oakland, how Baker Mayfield, uh, Hugh Jackson, that whole dumpster fire when Hugh Jackson was there. They're more interested in that on a national level as opposed to is Ian Book going to take the starting job? Is Shea Patterson going to win the starting job? Uh, things like that. Okay, last thing for you before we let you go here. I'll be dropping my uh, annual Ultimate College Football Road Trip probably within the next month or so. What is atop the Jim Weber bucket list trip right now for college football? Wow. You know, I haven't gone to nearly as many, like, game days as I would like to. Um, you know, growing up in Columbus, Ohio, and going to the University of Michigan, um, obviously college football is bred into me. Um, but I'd say that the experiences that I always hear people talk about are the whiteout at Penn State, never been to that despite Michigan being in the same conference, but I always hear that's crazy. Uh, night game at Death Valley at LSU. I hear that that is just the most raucous, craziest atmosphere you can ever witness. I'd say those, those are the two atop the bucket list. Um, and I'd say I would also love to do Notre Dame just for the tradition. I know it's not the craziest atmosphere, um, but as someone that went to Michigan and, you know, didn't have the craziest of experiences in the big house, but as just a lover of the history of college football and the tradition um, and the pageantry, um, I'd say Notre Dame has to be high on the list as well. So we talked Army Navy very briefly. Have you ever done an Army Navy game, whether that's in Philly, Baltimore, wherever? I have not, and I, I would love to do it. Um, I know they, you know, rotated between – uh, Washington, Philly, and New York. I don't think they've had it in New York in a while, but I would definitely love to do it um, because, as you said, like there's so much more than just the game when they march out um, the students onto the field. And the fact that both teams sing both alma maters because they're joined as one after the game, 
uh, definitely uh, put that on the, the bucket list as well. All right, that's Jim Weber. We're, what, not even two months away from college football. Jim has two fall weddings this year. I have zero fall weddings this year, so I would say I'm the winner of this podcast. But, Jim, I really <laughs> I really appreciate the time. I uh, hope you have a great rest of the summer. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you. Iowa State is the third-best team in the Big 12. And, frankly, I don't even think that the gap between Iowa State 3 and then I have Baylor 4 is very small. I think it's noticeable. So that being said, I think to Texas, I have Texas 2, to 3 Iowa State is also a significant gap. So I have 1 Oklahoma, 2 Texas, 3 Iowa State, 4 Baylor, 5 TCU, 6 Oklahoma State, 7 Texas Tech, 8 West Virginia, 9 Kansas State, 10 Kansas. I have no concern with Jalen Hurts taking over that Oklahoma offense. He's my all-conference team quarterback. He's my conference newcomer of the year, and he's my offensive player of the year. Oklahoma actually has my defensive player of the year, too, Kenneth Murray, linebacker. And none of those three individual honors are even debatable for me. But, like, if you had Sam Ellinger in Offensive Player of the Year, if you want to put CeeDee Lamb in Offensive Player of the Year, no issue with that. I still don't think that gap is all that big, but I do think it's big enough where I didn't even consider anyone else but Hurts for that spot. I also didn't even consider anyone else for Kenneth Murray for his spot. Like, Jaquan Bailey is a hell of a player for Iowa State. Bailey's actually one of three Iowa State players on my defensive team. So the way that the Big 12, really quickly, the way the Big 12 does media ballots, they just have one all-conference team to vote on, 13 defensive spots, 13 offensive spots, three specialist spots, punter, kicker, returner. So Iowa State has three guys on the defensive team. Zero offensive players. And I, like a lot of other people, have some questions about Iowa State offense. I love Brock Purdy. Huge fan. Have some questions about uh, their skill players, Montgomery and Butler, gone. Have a lot of questions about that offensive line. That needs to improve. I feel like the offensive line, the physicality up front, is almost all that Iowa State has been lacking the last couple of years. There is not much difference at the skill positions. There is not much athleticism difference between Iowa State and the Big 12's top team the last couple of years. So I have three Cyclones on the defense, uh, two of which on the defensive line. I mentioned Jaquan Bailey, Ray Lima also there, and then Marcel Spears Jr. Iowa State and TCU have one, two, three, seven of the 13 spots on my all-defensive preseason team in the Big 12. So TCU has four guys. I love the defensive line tandem, Corey Bethley, Ross Blacklock. Blacklock, remember, he's coming back from the injury that kept him out last year. Last week I did a best players for 2019 who didn't play a snap in 2018. Blacklock is there. Then they have two guys in the secondary corner, Jeff Gladney and safety in his gains. Last year, I actually picked in his gains in my breakout player for TCU and my breakout players in the Big 12. Nailed that, and then he went down in October, and he was gone for the year. He played really well before he went down, played six games. Hey, side note for Iowa State's defense. Actually, a couple of coaching notes for the Big 12 before I forget. So Joe Heacock, Iowa State defensive coordinator, this feels like the type of season that either Ends with Heacock, who he's been with Campbell, Matt Campbell now since 2014 at Toledo. This will be a sixth season with Matt Campbell. Last four at Iowa State, two at Toledo. He's been around FBS, FCS for a while, like three decades. This feels like the type of season that either gets him another huge raise or a high-profile defensive coordinator job. Doesn't seem like the guy that's going to take a head coaching job, pure speculation there, but he seems like a guy that would be very interested in terms of Power 5 schools going after him. I think Power 5 schools would be very interested in going after him for the defensive coordinator spot. A high-profile job, like a high-end Power 5 school or just one with flush with funds 
uh, and sick of their poor defensive play. I wouldn't be shocked if he's poached from Iowa State after this season. Second, I've been all over Justin Wilcox for the last couple of years. Absolutely love what he's doing at Cal. And for those who listen to High Motor regularly, I think he's near the top of the list for a big-time job. When something legit comes open in the next year or two, I think he's going to get something. Cal just can't pay him what other schools can pay him. So off of that, I have Matt Rule in that same bucket. He's been mentioned for NFL jobs the last couple of years. He had an interview with the Colts last year after his first year at Baylor. And I had the Bears, like I mentioned, finishing fourth in the Big 12. Which means they'll be in like that 8-ish win range. If they do finish fourth, they'll probably be 8-4 and four in the regular season. Maybe 9-3. and three. So if Baylor wins 8 or 9 games, Matt Rule is going to be getting more phone calls. Honestly, if they win 6 or 7 games, Matt Rule is still probably getting more phone calls. After that situation he walked to, walked into at Baylor and what he's done there. So I'm predicting both Justin Wilcox and Matt Rule are occupying two of the better jobs in the country within a year or two. They're going to both going to be in top 20 to 25 jobs within a year or two. Back to the ballot here. I tweeted this out with my ballot last week. Again, I think one Oklahoma, two Texas, three Iowa State are pretty clear. Then, like I said, I have Baylor 4, TCU 5, Oklahoma State. I think 4, 5, 6 are interchangeable. I have Baylor at 4 because I love Matt Rule, love Charlie Brewer, love Clay Johnston on defense. I like what that staff has done to get creative with a little bit less talent than when they had Art Bryles when he was in the midst of his douchebaggery. So I have Baylor 4 right now. Wouldn't be shocked if Baylor finished 6 and if Oklahoma State finished 4, TCU finished 4, TCU finished 6. Four through six, I have them interchangeable. And then right below them, another trio. Seven, Texas Tech. Eight, West Virginia. Nine, Kansas State. Interchangeable, too. You know, transition. speaking of transitions, all three of these teams are undergoing transitions. So is number 10, Kansas. That's a little bit different. I'll get to that in a second. And with these transitions, I think transitions like what's going on at Texas Tech, or excuse me, Georgia Tech right now, gets the most attention scheme and personnel-wise, and rightfully so. I mean, you're going from a triple option system for the last decade. A very, very specific roster, very specific depth chart, where you're taking over a roster that has a, a billion running backs and fullbacks and zero tight ends to more of a balanced pro-style offense. I mean, that's not even going to take shape for a few years. Go, Andy Staples wrote a great article on that transition for Sports Illustrated in the spring. I think it was like in March or April. Really good stuff in there if you didn't see it. But anyway, the, the transition from... Cliff Kingsbury to Matt Wells to David Yost, the whole former Utah State staff now in Lubbock. I don't know how that's going to go. I think it could take time. Same for Neil Brown at West Virginia. Now, that's not as dramatic of an overhaul because of those transitions. And I think you're going to see all four bottom teams, like I mentioned, all four bottom teams are undergoing coaching transitions, and Kansas is a little bit different at 10 because scheme for them is so low on the totem pole of their priority list as they continue building, rebuilding a depleted roster. So order of finish, I didn't struggle with that that much. I went back and forth, like I said, on spots 4 through 6, 7 through 9. And at one point, I think I had TCU 4 for quite a while this spring and summer. I always had 1, 2, 3. Almost from the time we saw NFL decisions, Matt Campbell was staying put. 1, 2, 3, I've always had it the same. I had TCU 4 for quite a while, but that offense still worries me. You love the athleticism, you love the skill players, you love what they can do creatively uh, with that offense, put different guys in different spots. That's per usual under Garrett Patterson and Sonny Cumbie. 
We just need to see more consistency for me to think that they're a better team than Baylor, than if you go up a wrong Iowa State. So really quick, looking at my offensive team, I had little issues with that. Like I said, Jalen Hurts wasn't a debate for me at all. Nor was Kennedy Brooks, Puka Williams, a running back. Uh, Kansas still hasn't announced if or how Puka is going to be punished for the domestic violence arrest over the winter. He's been suspended for team activities. There haven't really been any updates. But if he plays, he's one of the best skilled players in the country, which Kansas just hasn't had in the last decade. You probably have to go back to Desmond Briscoe. What it would 10, 11 years ago now to have one of the best skilled players in the country. So Kennedy Brooks, Puka Williams, zero question at all at running back for me. Receivers weren't difficult. C.D. Lamb, and by the way, much is going to be made about Oklahoma losing Marquise Brown. A lot of attention to be on C.D. Lamb, and I get the attention losing Brown. He was incredible, but I'm almost more curious to see those three freshman receivers, true freshmen, including Jadon Hazelwood. I'm probably more interested in watching them than interested in knowing that I'll be seeing Marquise Brown every week. So Grant Calcaterra in that Sooners offense, he's the Big 12's best tight end. I wrote about briefly, right after the NFL draft, I wrote about briefly Charlie Kohler. He's Iowa State's tight end. I think he's the guy with the best near future chance to be the first round, first, first round pick in like 50 years. Iowa State hasn't had a first round pick. I think it's like 46 or 47 years. So I love Charlie Kohler, but I think Right now, clearly, Grant Calcaterra is the best head in the Big 12. Offensive line went back and forth, but not a ton. I think the toughest position group on either offensive or defensive team, by a mile, is defensive back. Caden Stearns, no question there. Adrian Fry, no question there. Stearns from Texas, Fry from Texas Tech. Those were easy of the five spots. Uh, I also mentioned having Gladney in there. And then Innis Gaines. For For Gaines, I'm pretty certain that when the full media ballots are released, Gaines probably won't be on there. I would guess I'm in the minority on him. But I love what he was doing before he went down. He was fully cleared back in uh, late April, right after spring ball, early May in that time. I love that he's not going to miss the summer stuff. Love that he's not going to be limited in camp. Six foot two, 200 pounds, long, athletic, instinctive. Six and a half tackles for loss in only six games before the injury. Really liked him in that Ohio State game. In his games, keep an eye on him. Like I said, I'll go through some more Big 12 predictions, a lot of more college football predictions as we get closer to the season. If you want to talk some Big 12 football, tweet at me, adowdy88, or tweet at the pod, at highmotorpod, anytime. Let's talk Big 12 football. 54 days until college football is back. That is Saturday, August 24th, week zero. 54 days until college football returns. If you haven't, please leave a rating and review for the High Motor Podcast. Always appreciate those. Thanks for the numbers lately. It's a lot of fun seeing them go up over time. I will be back next Monday. Like I said, working on a great guest, and I am certain will be awesome. I am certain you will love it. I am certain you will think it's one of the best guests we've ever had for the High Motor Podcast. I will confirm that sometime this week on Twitter, at High Motor Pod, at adowdy 88 Thank you for dropping in, and thanks again to Jim Weber for his time. Love talking to him, but it always makes me miss Lost Letterman. That was a fun one. I am Andrew Doughty. Thank you for listening to the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today, it had been a while And we forgot each other's names But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces